Thanks for tuning in to the A Champion's Mind podcast. I'm your host, Mario Ariave. I hope that you enjoyed part one of the interview that I did with Payson McElvin, professional mountain biker for the Orange Seal Factory Cycling Team. And so today we're going to jump right into part number two of this interview where Payson talks a little bit more about the ups, downs, difficulties, fun parts of being a professional cyclist. So without further ado, here we go. Part two. That lock. From me all the time, but you're sitting there going, ah, you know, you're not a professional cyclist. Well, you just heard it from one telling you that anybody can do it. Like, trust the man. It's true. You can forge your own path. I love it. Okay, we're moving forward here. Yeah, the question that I had for you was, what role do you believe that mindset plays in performance? Yeah, it's huge. And I think it was the key to turning a corner in 2016. So one of the main things that changed from 2015 to 2016 is I ate out of the U23 ranks. So it was my first year in normal international elites rather than having that U23 designation. And when I was a U23, I always had this last hurdle that I couldn't quite pull off for, for different reasons, which was making the world championships team. And typically USA cycling, they have the capability to send five or six U23 guys, but usually they'd send four just for obvious organizational reasons. And I had two or three years where I was that fifth guy or I was that sixth guy. And there was one year where I was 15 seconds off of an automatic spot for the world championships I was 15 seconds away from punching my ticket in March and just having that checked off for the whole year. I just missed it. And then I, the, the rest of the year just kind of went a little bit downhill. And I just always had this cloud hanging over me of just making the team. And it was this outcome goal that I was just so fixated on. And I never quite pulled off that world championships team. I made the Pan Am champ, the, the Pan American championships team, but didn't make that world's team. And then I moved on to the elites. And it was this massive breath of fresh air. Some may expect that first year elite, there's going to be a lot more pressure, but it was the complete opposite. It was an Olympic year too, and I I wasn't quite in that picture for the long team, so I didn't have that to worry about. And I just had this year where every race got better. I only had, I mean, I raced almost every weekend, March through through September, and I had maybe, I don't know, three or four legitimately bad weekends, which is just unheard of. So I just stopped worrying about these outcome goals. I enjoyed every race in the moment. I wasn't necessarily looking two, three, four weeks down the line in terms of what events I had coming up. I I was focused on that training day or or that race day. And the rest just kind of took care of itself. So potentially there's going to be a little bit more pressure going into 2017 now because some of those bigger long-term aspirations like Olympic long team or elite world championships team are a lot more realistic now. And I'm uh, optimistic and confident that I'll be able to keep this new mindset and keep things a little bit more in perspective, having, I guess, matured as, as an athlete to an extent. Yeah. When you look at the pressure that you were under when you were still U23 and now moving forward, now that some of the bigger prospects in terms of the elite category are are on the radar for you when they as to where they weren't the first year that you were in the elites where do you think this pressure is originating from it's a hundred percent pressure i put on myself i mean 
USA Cycling is there to make the team selection, to provide the support, and it's there for the taking. But, I mean, I, you don't get emails from them saying, hey, you know, if you want to make the team, you've got to get this result at this race. I don't know if that happens on the road side of things. It definitely doesn't happen on the mountain bike side of things. But it's just kind of this thing that's there for the athlete to take. And so all the pressure comes from within. Yeah. I I gave an example of our phone and the fact that if I handed you my phone right now and I said, Payson, I want you to download the Twitter app onto my phone and I gave it to you and you press the home button, it would ask you for a passcode. And you either know the passcode or you don't know the passcode. If you don't know the passcode, however, it is impossible for you to put the Twitter application on my phone. Unless I told you, okay, Payson, the passcode is 9729, you type it in, now you can go ahead and put that application on there. I believe that pressure works the same way. The pressure originates from within. Now, that being said, there is the writing on the wall, Payson, it sounds like you're up for the World Championships team, or Payson, you know, you're on the list to make the Olympic team. But understand, for everybody listening, those are objective things. Those things don't have claws and teeth. They're just, they're facts. You are performing at this level, so this is a possibility for you. We give those objective things the passcode to our phone, and by our phone I mean our mind, and we allow those things to come into our phone, and all of a sudden they're able to do pretty much whatever they want because once your phone's unlocked, you can take pictures, you can download applications, you can do whatever. You can do some good things, but you can also do some bad things. So with this whole pressure thing, it's, sure, there are some external things that people might say, expectations that they might even tell us, like some people's coaches are like, hey, you need to go do this, I know that you can, or we're expecting this. But understand, you can either give that statement the passcode to get into your mind, or you can choose to not let it into your mind. And that's the choice that you make. So ultimately... I like what you said because that's what I believe. I believe that pressure is all internal. I don't believe in somebody saying, well, my coach told me that I had better win that race and I didn't, so now I feel bad about myself and it's my coach's fault. I don't think so. It's your fault. You allowed that person to speak into your life and to have you feel that way. So anyhow, just to put that down, Mic drop and walk away from that. But, yeah, so that would be another topic for another day. But I think you said it very well, Payson. Payson, talk to us about, because I'm going to assume, because your journey's been long and it's still far from over, but adversity that you've dealt with throughout this whole process of getting to and now being a pro mountain biker and staying there, right, and continuing to raise your level of performance every year. How do you handle it, and what are some best practices you think maybe for handling adversity? That's a great question. Obviously, there are different types of adversity. Big picture, like I've mentioned several times now, up until 2016, one form of adversity was just, am I going to graduate college before I'm really at a level where I can do this and put bread on the table? Because there, for a while, there were some flashes in the pan of things I was capable of, but not on a consistent basis, and not on a consistent basis that merited the kind of support or paycheck that I could live on. 
And so, yeah, I was kind of looking down the barrel of what am I going to do in terms of continuing this dream I have and continuing this process and, and this lifestyle. And I kind of made peace with I'm okay with having a part-time job of some sort and whether it was working part-time in a bike shop or picking up twice as many client uh, coaching clients or whatever it was. But I just kind of went back to the process like I've been talking about, enjoyed that. And ultimately, for now at least, it took care of itself. And then, uh, you know, another type of adversity could be a specific day or a specific race. The one that comes to mind most notably was this August 2016 at the Mongolia Bike Challenge. And uh, it was a unbelievably hard race from start to finish, stage one through stage six. Uh, I was going up against a couple of really, really good riders. One of them was an Italian World Cup racer who's podiumed at a World Cup. The other is Corey Wallace, who rides for the Kona Factory team and has won every mountain bike stage race under the sun and is kind of one of the best around the world. And they both won that race multiple times. And I came in with big aspirations, but humility, because I knew who I was racing against. And the race went really well. We went back and forth six days, and I ended up with a lead on GC going into the final stage, stage six, which was a time trial. I think I had five minutes and 45 seconds or something on GC. And on stage five, I kind of felt myself starting to get sick. Didn't think too much of it. And then it really hit me that evening, and it was a GI-type virus of some sort. Didn't sleep at all that night, which is rough in a stage race, especially that deep in a stage race. Couldn't put any food down for 24 hours. Full body chills, whole nine yards. That morning of the time trial, I was so depleted calorically, physically, hydration-wise, that I was waiting in line at the bathroom, and I couldn't even stand. I had to sit on the floor of the bathroom because <laughs> I was so boxed. And I still had this time trial to do. And I just, in that moment, I was thinking, how am I going to pull this off? How, you know, I've got some time to play with. For an hour long time trial, you know, 545 is pretty good lead to play with, but when you can't even stand, you know, you've got issues. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so just kind of in that moment, I just thought about having flown halfway around the world for I think the entire race was probably 25, 26 hours and all the travel was about 60 hours. So I tra wow. traveled way more than I even raced. And I just thought about all the folks that had helped me get there, all of my sponsors, the training that had gone into it. I kind of decided that there just wasn't an option. You know, you just, you got to get the job done. So I still couldn't eat anything. So I just pounded some coffee, <laughs> rallied as best I could and, Man, I bled a lot of time. I think I lost like four and a half minutes, but just managed to hang on. It was the most miserable hour of my life, without a doubt. Never gone so deep in my life. To the People talk about losing vision or, or that sort of thing on a, on a really deep effort, but in the last few kilometers, it was just kind of white light, and I was sort of losing visual on dirt road that we were finishing on. Yeah. So it was total insanity, and it was kind of like, there's the the athlete in you that's like, you got to get the job done. And then the, uh, there's the other side and you kind of think, you know, why? Like this is, we're in the middle of nowhere riding our bikes in a dirt circle. Like, do I really have to do this to myself? And in the moment I decided that I did. And anyway, it worked out. And that was probably the most severe adversity I've experienced in an acute form 
And uh, I guess I don't really know what the, the key was to that. I don't know that I have a maybe you have an answer there. But yeah, I guess that's the story that comes to mind most strongly. I have a hunch. <laughs> it was the process. Yeah. It was what you've laid your career on, which has allowed you to be successful. It was the process. And no, we weren't certain you were going to be able to hold on to that lead. That was in the balance. That was in the balance, like, big time. That was in the balance way more than you having a good breakfast and having had a good night's sleep. But we do know one thing. The process says this is what we do. We get ready for the race as best we can, and then we race as hard as we can. And so you went through with the process, not focused on the result, just focused on the process. And the story has a good ending. You end up winning the race, and that's fantastic. If you still hadn't won the race, though, if this would have gone the other way, and you would have lost more than that time that you had on GC going into that last day, your conviction to the process was still the same. And I think that's important. So, all right, and we are back. Technology, you got to love it, and then sometimes you got to hate it. Sorry about the little interruption there, but we just got through talking about the Mongolian stage race. Payson was talking about some adversity that he dealt with at that race, just being sick and such, and we just kind of basically kicked around the idea that how was he able to throw a leg over the top tube and go out there and ride even when he was cross-eyed and started losing some vision, and we... It was the process. It's the fact that he's been doing this for so long that it's just what you do, right? It's 17 degrees outside. Well, it's just what you do. So good days, we love them. Tailwinds, we love them. But we also know that with every tailwind, there's a headwind. We also know that with every good race, sometimes we have some not-so-good races. So that's a segue into this next question here that I've got for Payson. Payson, take us through a day a race day, and this is a fun one for you, where it seemed you could do nothing wrong. So it was just just one of those days. It's a fantastic 10 out of 10 type of a day. Yeah. It's hard to, to pick one that would illustrate that the best, but I guess we'll go for a race that wasn't 2016, actually. Back in 2014, I guess it was kind of my first real big breakout race. Um, and it was actually in Texas. It was the Mellow Johnny's U.S. Cup UCI race. And I didn't have much in the way of UCI points yet at that point. So my grid position was pretty far back. I don't know, fourth or fifth row maybe. And all the best North Americans were there, Central Americans, South Americans, and uh, Olymp- past Olympians, past World Cup winners, et cetera, et cetera. And I just had an incredible day. <laughs> it was the, one of those magic legs days where you can just always go harder. You can always accelerate a little bit harder out of a turn. And I think on the first lap, I came through maybe in, in 25th place and like a minute down on the leaders already. And I just kind of kept riding through the field. And then with uh, it was a six lap race. And on the fifth lap, I caught sight of the main chase group. So there was a lead group of like Jeff Kabush and Todd Wells and Max Plaxton and a couple guys like that. And then there was a second chase group of the Russell Finsterwalds and the Alex Grant and Ben Sontag and those kind of guys. And I had never ridden in the top 10 of a race of that caliber. And I made this weird split second decision where I rolled up on the back of that group. And instead of thinking, wow, I'm here, don't mess this up. 
I just went right around all of them and attacked immediately, kept rolling. Two or three minutes later, I was alone going after that main chase group exclusively of guys who had been to the Olympics. And I, yeah, I, I think I was 20 years old, maybe. And I, the adrenaline was just unbelievable. Came through with one lap to go home race. So everyone was going nuts. Looked up at the, the score, the timing board and the lead group still had a minute. And I didn't catch them, but I got within, I think, 15 seconds of the podium, which was Jeremiah Bishop and closed some time on them. And, uh, oh man, it was such a cool feeling. And interestingly, I didn't have a race like that again for a handful of months. But in that moment, it was kind of like, all right, this is what's possible. Now we know it'll be fun when this happens again. <laughs> yeah. Those are always fun to talk about, those kinds of days. Exactly. But again, with every tailwind, there's a headwind. Yeah. This is a yes-no question because we're going to just answer and then move on. Have you experienced race days where you felt that you could do nothing right and nothing was going well? Plenty. All right. So plenty, plenty, plenty translated is a yes. All right. But the next question is this one that I've got for you, kind of to tie this all together. Would you say, Payson, that most days are better described as work with what you've got or because you and I both have the same coach in Christian Williams, work with the grain? In other words, days where don't feel like a 10 out of 10, but I don't feel like a 0 out of 10. I'm somewhere in the middle, and it's kind of like a piece of wet clay. Let's see what we can make here. Totally. Yeah. I would say most days are work with the grain days. Even if you're in a, a good enough state to finish the workout as prescribed or whatever, it's still not always pretty. And just this past Tuesday, I had one of my most challenging days on the bike in the last year. I won't go into the specifics of the workout because, as you know, Christian's got lots of nice secret workouts that we don't want to <laughs> give away. But I had a handful of intervals, and I was supposed to do five of them after a big block of tempo. And so I was pretty tired going into it, uh, but I thought this is attainable, and it just wasn't happening. I got the first one was almost all I could do to finish. The second one, I was, you know, just dying. By the third one, I was just fighting the bike and barely hit the zone, just absolutely miserable, like almost keeling over at the top of this climb. <laughs> and so I said, I know that I cannot do a fourth one today at the prescribed wattage for the duration of time. Okay, we'll take it to three minutes uh, instead of four minutes. So I did the same power, eked out three minutes, eked out another three-minute one, knew I couldn't do a third three-minute one, so I made it a two-minute one. And so at the end of the day, I ended up with the same amount of work in that power zone. I didn't parse it out exactly like I was supposed to, but like you were talking about, I worked with the grain, got the work done as best I could on the day. And even though it didn't go how I wanted it to, felt somewhat accomplished just in terms of getting through that and working with what I had. Yeah, that's a great example right there that you give us. And the example that I think about with this working with the grain on a race day or on a day that you have a workout, to me, it's like Milan San Remo, which is a really, really long classic. And it's super long, but 
the sprinters know that if they can just get over the Poggio, they know that they've got a chance to win a, just the first monument of the year. And yeah. it's funny. You watch these guys, and they're dangling off the back, and they look like death, and then you get them close, and they mm. come around. Yep. But they have been riding their bike for over seven hours, so it should be the other way around. Things should be deteriorating as we're getting there. And it's this whole work with the grain. So often, and this goes back to the mindset and the importance of it, so often our minds, it's not that you found a new set of legs on the road or that you got a lung transplant and all of a sudden you just feel great. It's mentally you got in the game and you shifted a perspective or you said something to yourself or you got rid of some negativity and all of a sudden it feels like you got new legs. And all of a sudden you ride and you carry yourself differently. So these days in the middle, since we're going to have more of them, and since we need to embrace the working with the grain, because these kinds of days are the days that make champions, because the high days are not really going to happen very often. Thankfully, neither are the days where car won't even start on the way to the race. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, there's a lot of that gray area in the middle there. And if we can learn to work with those days and make the best out of those days, then you better watch out for the person that's learned to do that on a day when everything falls into place. Be careful. I mean, untouchable, right? So I love it. Payson, I got a couple of questions here at the end of this, some fun questions here. Here we go. Favorite thing about being a pro cyclist? Oh, man. Getting to ride my bike every day, I guess. (laughs) That sounds... Winning, I mean, winning, winning races is pretty doggone fun, but... Obviously, that happens less often than than getting to ride your bike every day. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. I like them both. Hardest thing about being a pro cyclist? Can I say two things? (laughs) Hardest Uh, things. I said things that had an S on there. Nah. (laughs) Okay. So just when things aren't going right, when training's not going right or racing's not going right, and and, uh, just realizing that it'll come back around. And it, it gets easier, I think, to recognize that it'll come back around. But I've quit the sport a lot of times. Sometimes for a minute, sometimes for two days. <laughs> but if you can just stay the course and it'll come back around. And then the other one, about now that I have a significant other, just being on the road half the year is really, really hard. And not being able to be with Jenna as much as I would like is definitely one of the hardest parts. Yeah. I love what you just said. I've quit the sport a lot of times. Wow. That's awesome. That's such a profound statement. I love it. If you can't, okay, I'm going to throw some slugs out there for some of y'all listening to this. If you cannot make that statement, you're not training hard enough. You're not invested in the process enough. I am sorry, but I'm not. I tell it like it is, and that's a truth bomb right there. If you can't say that statement that you've quit the sport many times, that means that you are not stretching your capacities to the point to get your best out of yourself. You're taking it too easy on yourself. So, yeah, that's a hard pill to swallow, but once you swallow it, I'm going to give you this realization. That means that you're capable of more, and that should excite you, and that should motivate you. Great line there, Payson. That was awesome. What's some words of advice that you could give to somebody listening to this podcast? General stuff in terms of 
What level are we talking? Just in anything? I don't know. Anything. This is your time. Just anything that you're thinking right now that's on your mind to just that would be helpful for anybody listening to this. Yeah, I mean we've we've really harped on it, but I just kind of feel like it's the the central theme and that's just loving the process and figuring out why you love it. You don't have to love it at a level that a, a professional athlete has to or in the same way. I mean, heck, you could race just five or six times a year in your local area and that's totally fine. Find what level of passion you have for it and pursue it in a way that is fun. Cause uh, it doesn't, like I've talked about before, it doesn't matter if you're just getting into the sport or you are Peter Sagan. Both of those folks love it and you have to love it. It's too hard not to love it. So find out what it is that makes you love what you do. Yes, I love it. And you throw Peter Sagan out there. That is an example of a young man that is having so much fun. And I'm glad he's so active on social media. And I'm glad that he's just so willing to put himself out there because I think it's important for people to realize that you guys can't be as successful as you are at the level that you are if it's not fun. You won't last. Your flame will go out really quickly if this is a job. It has to be a passion. So good example in you, good example in Sagan, and pretty much any other professional that maybe we would look at, although there are some that are doing it for the paycheck or the status, and unfortunately, those are the ones that never fully reach their potential and that maybe don't last as long as others, but we've got a very good example in you. So, all right, Payson, sponsors that you would like to thank and shout out. Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. There are so many that have helped me over the years and get here, but Orange Seal has stepped up in a big, big way this year, and I'm really excited about our title sponsorship partnership my second year with trek bikes which i'm very happy with bond traeger has also come on board those two go hand in hand ride biker and show air have been massive the last couple of years with their support they're going to be big time supporters again this year kenda tires race face ride fast wheels which is a smaller company but you'll be hearing a lot more of them in the coming years there's a handful that have just been really instrumental. And I'd also like to thank uh, Williams Racing Academy and Utmost Performance for your roles and in supporting me. So thank you. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate the shout out. Thanks, man. This is the last one, but definitely doesn't need to be the least. Listen, y'all, I want you guys to take him up on this, what he's about to say. You need to go follow Payson on some of these social media platforms he's about to throw your way because he's good at getting it out there and he's got accounts on these social media platforms that really he peels back the layers and he lets you see that there's a human being that's doing the bike riding. So I think it's important. Sometimes we follow the guy on Team Sky that's always in Spain and it's always sunny. No, like he just put pictures of him in Durango doing the thing, 17 degrees. Because the Team Sky guys, that is a very small portion of this population. So without, okay, I'm going to hand it over to you. Payson, tell us where people can find more about you and your team and things of, of that nature. The primary one that I use these days is Instagram, and that's just at Payson McKelvin, uh, P-A-Y-S-O-N-M-C-E-L-V-E-E-N. 
I'm the same on Twitter. And then I have an athlete page on Facebook, and that's just Payson McKelvin. I have a website um, that I update fairly often with different multimedia things and try to write some news updates, and that's PaysonMcKelvin.com. And Ride Biker would be one I'd point you towards uh, if there are any club riders out there looking for a kit provider or looking for some club support. It's a great resource. And I guess I'll throw Strava out there because that's fun and I use it pretty much daily. It's just Payson McKelvin also. I think that covers it. Awesome. Well, Payson, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure to just get to chat with you and get this message out to those listeners. There's just so much good content in here that they can benefit from. So I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope that you are nice and cozy and beginning to wrap your mind around session number two here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mario. I appreciate you taking the time and I love the work that you do. I'm a big fan. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Well, y'all, there it is. You guys follow him. 2017 is going to be a big year for Payson. No pressure, but believe that he'll deliver. All right, y'all have a fantastic rest of your day, guys. Thanks, Payson. Thanks, Mario. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast interview with professional mountain biker Payson McElvin. I hope you guys were able to gather as much wisdom and knowledge from Payson as I was able to. It was just a fantastic just pleasure to get to speak with the young man who was gracious enough to give us some of his time on such a busy schedule. I hope that this episode was insightful for you. I hope that it gives you a clearer picture of what it's like to be a professional and the fact that this is within our grasp if we truly want to do it with a bunch of sacrifice and hard work and things of that nature. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, I'd just recommend that you jump onto iTunes, go search A Champion's Mind and grab some of the previous episodes maybe of the podcast that I've done that also have some great wisdom and knowledge and insight that I believe that you guys would enjoy. In addition, I've got a Facebook page by the name Utmost Performance. Got an Instagram account as well that I'm pretty active on, Utmost underscore performance. And last but not least, your one-stop shop maybe where you can go ahead and subscribe to some YouTube videos, just get all this stuff that I throw up on my channel, podcast episodes, or anything else that I put out, the website utmostperformance.info. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your day.